tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus. A probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. There are a lot of things that influence developing an addiction, and none of them are that we're weak-willed losers. In the Sober Powered Podcast, you'll learn how and why addiction develops, how alcohol changes the brain to keep us drinking, and most importantly, that you're not alone. The things you experience are experienced by many of us. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about cancer. I'll explain what a carcinogen is, how it causes cancer, and what component of alcohol causes cancer. There's some misinformation circulating in the sober community on this topic, so I'll clear that up. You'll learn 
how alcohol causes cancer, how our genetics contribute to our risk of developing cancer from heavy drinking, and how the way the body handles chronic heavy drinking puts us even more at risk for developing cancer. So let's dig in. Alcohol causes cancer, we all know that, but not all of us know why or how alcohol causes cancer. A carcinogen is a substance that is capable of causing cancer. When something's labeled a carcinogen, it's because it's been extensively studied. There's a few ways that cancer can develop in the body. Tumor suppressor genes are protective genes that limit cell growth by controlling how fast cells divide into new cells. They repair damaged DNA and they control when a cell dies. When a tumor suppressor gene mutates, there are no controls on cell growth or death anymore and the cell becomes cancerous and grows uncontrollably. Tumor suppressor genes that you may have heard of are breast cancer gene BRCA1 and 2 and P53. Mutations in BRCA1 and 2 genes increase a woman's risk of developing breast and ovarian cancer, a man's risk of developing prostate or male breast cancer, and they increase the risk for everybody for developing pancreatic cancer and melanoma. More than half of all cancers involve a mutated P53 gene. Many tumor suppressor genes also function as DNA repair genes like BRCA1 and 2 and P53. If there's a problem with a DNA repair gene, then DNA mutations don't get fixed and can eventually become cancer. Oncogenes are cancerous genes that turn a healthy cell into a cancer cell. Two common ones are HER2, which is involved in breast and ovarian cancer, and the RAS family of genes, so RAS. And both of these families of genes are studied a lot in the pharmaceutical industry and by biotech companies. Cancer risk can be inherited, but it can also be acquired by environmental factors like drinking alcohol, smoking, too much tanning, or exposure to pollutants. So a carcinogen is something that can cause cancer, but it won't always cause cancer. It does this by doing things like changing a cell's DNA or by causing cells to divide quicker than normally. The International Agency for Research on Cancer is a part of the World Health Organization and one of their roles is to identify causes of cancer. The IARC has looked at over 1,000 potential carcinogens and grouped them. A group 1 carcinogen is carcinogenic to humans, group 2A is probably carcinogenic to humans, group 2B is possibly carcinogenic to humans, and group 3 is not classifiable as to its carcinogenicity in humans. There are a little over 100 group 1 carcinogens and alcohol is one of them. The IARC identified alcohol consumption and the acetaldehyde that is produced in the breakdown of alcohol as carcinogenic to the oral cavity, pharynx, larynx, esophagus, colorectal area, liver, and female breast. As of June 2010, the American Institute does not identify a generally safe threshold of alcohol, and a 2021 study found that there is no safe level of alcohol for the brain. 
Many epidemiological studies have found a correlation between drinking alcohol and getting cancer. All types of alcohol increase the risk. It isn't just people who drink liquor. I think we often believe that since we only drink beer or wine, we're not that bad. It's the amount of alcohol that you're drinking that matters. It's not the vehicle that it comes in. So you can get the same amount of alcohol from beer as you would from whiskey. You would just drink more volume. The cancer-causing agent in alcohol is the actual ethanol and the acetaldehyde that it's broken down into by the liver. Any other potential carcinogen is usually removed during manufacturing. Good manufacturing practices, or GMP, are very strict about the levels of certain chemicals that are allowed in the things that we consume. Drinking more than five or six drinks per day and smoking increases the risk of developing throat, voice box, and esophagus cancer by 50 times. A study from 1994 calculated that 4% of all newly diagnosed breast cancer cases in the U.S. result from alcohol. Alcohol is converted into acetaldehyde by an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase. There are seven genes that encode for alcohol dehydrogenase enzymes that result in different activities, and some can be 40 times more active than others. So this means that not everyone has the same alcohol dehydrogenase, and some people will process alcohol quicker and more efficiently. So we don't all process alcohol exactly the same, even though we use the same enzymes to do it. There are also two variants of the second enzyme, aldehyde dehydrogenase, in the human population. One has very low activity and one has high activity. The low activity variant is present in a large population of East Asians, and this is why they can't drink. As they drink alcohol, acetaldehyde is produced, and their second enzyme doesn't work very well, causing the acetaldehyde to accumulate and make them feel terrible. So if you feel horrible while you drink, you're less likely to drink. The variant of alcohol dehydrogenase that you have determines how quickly alcohol is broken down into acetaldehyde, and the variant of aldehyde dehydrogenase that you have determines how quickly acetaldehyde is broken down into acetate, which is not a carcinogen. The longer the acetaldehyde stays in the body, the more opportunities it has to damage DNA and cause cancer. So just to repeat that, our bodies all use alcohol dehydrogenase and aldehyde dehydrogenase to break down alcohol and then break down acetaldehyde, but we don't have exactly the same enzymes as each other. So we'll all have different variants and they work at different efficiencies. So some of us are very good at processing alcohol, some of us are okay, and some of us can't process it very well at all. So that makes a big difference on how much alcohol you drink in your risk of developing a problem, and it also plays a factor in your risk of developing cancer from your drinking. Additionally, for chronic heavy drinkers, other pathways to eliminating alcohol become active because we're drinking so much and so frequently. These pathways are not turned on in social drinkers. An enzyme called cytochrome P450E21 turns on and breaks down alcohol, but in the process, 
it creates free radicals. Free radicals damage DNA and cause cancer. UV radiation also causes the production of free radicals, which is why we wear sunscreen. Excessive alcohol consumption also produces free radicals inside of your body. So imagine going to the beach and intentionally never wearing sunscreen ever. And the amount of alcohol that triggers cytochrome P450 E21 to turn on is different for everyone, and it's likely determined by your genetics. A 2002 study suggested that three drinks per day for one week is enough to turn on this enzyme. And when this enzyme turns on, it's producing free radicals in the process of getting rid of the extra alcohol that your liver is struggling to handle. So you're increasing your risk in another way, too. In 1999, the IARC said that there's overwhelming evidence that acetaldehyde causes cancer. And the evidence that they stated was that inhalation in rats and hamsters results in cancer of the nasal mucosa and larynx. Long-term administration of acetaldehyde in drinking water results in excessive cell growth of the mucosa cells of the upper digestive tract, which is similar to the changes that are observed in chronic heavy drinkers. And it's also been observed that acetaldehyde causes inflammation and transformation of the cells lining the trachea, interferes with normal reproduction of cells, and causes excessive cell growth of the GI mucosa cells. So remember, excessive cell growth is one of the characteristics of cancer. So you'll learn more in the next minute or two, but there's a strong link between heavy drinking, and upper GI cancer, and I'll explain why. Acetaldehyde causes cancer in a few different ways. So it's been shown to cause mutations in DNA or in entire portions of chromosomes, and it messes with a cell's ability to repair DNA damage by inhibiting one of the enzymes that makes the repair. So it can cause a mutation, but then it prevents the cell from fixing the mutation that it caused. So this means that the mutation would continue to get copied into new cells and and more and more cells would have this mutation. Way back in episode 6, like an entire year ago, I explained how acetaldehyde forms adducts with DNA, meaning that it attaches itself to DNA. So acetaldehyde is a highly reactive molecule, and it can bind to proteins, fats, and DNA, causing the original molecule to lose some or all of its function because the addition of acetaldehyde is disrupting it. So the structure of a molecule has a big influence on its function. DNA addicts can cause mutations in oncogenes or in tumor-suppressing genes too. But not all addicts are dangerous though. There's one that has been detected in human white blood cells and in rat liver after drinking alcohol called N2-ethyl-2'-deoxyguanosine, and there's very little evidence that it causes DNA mutations. So don't be afraid that your body is filled with cancer-causing DNA addicts or something. Also, it takes a really high concentration of acetaldehyde to form addicts, except in the GI tract. And this is important because remember, the alcohol dehydrogenase and aldehyde dehydrogenase enzymes that you have determine how much acetaldehyde accumulates in your body. So this is all connected. 
Spermidine is a compound that's found in most cells in the body, and it promotes cell death and protects us against aging. As cells age, they die off and are replaced by new cells. So this compound helps them die off and not just hang around forever. So acetaldehyde can react with spermidine to form a new molecule called crotonaldehyde, which has been found to bind to DNA and cause mutations. And this process can occur in the mouth and throat. So the more alcohol that you drink, the more you increase your risk of developing upper GI cancer because acetaldehyde can also be found in our saliva. And patients that have upper GI cancer have been found to have elevated levels of acetaldehyde in their saliva. One study found that people who had eight or more drinks per day and had two copies of the more active alcohol dehydrogenase variant had a 40-fold increased risk for oral cancer compared to non-drinkers. So your genetics are really important when it comes down to cancer risk. There are a lot of other studies that found similar results, certain variants resulting in an increased cancer risk, not just for oral cancer, but for upper GI tract, liver, and breast cancer. And that's because this variant allows more acetaldehyde to accumulate in our cells. And if it's hanging around longer, it has more opportunities to do damage and potentially cause cancer. There's a really interesting study from 2006 that found that rinsing with antiseptic mouthwash after drinking reduces the amount of acetaldehyde in the saliva by 30 to 50%. Another study found that poor dental hygiene is associated with increased acetaldehyde concentrations in the saliva after drinking, and this is thought to be because poor hygiene increases the amount of bad bacteria that's present in the mouth. And another study from 2006 found that smokers have twice as much acetaldehyde in their saliva as non-smokers when they both consume the same amount of alcohol. So smoking and drinking heavily greatly increases your risk. So the best thing that we can do for our cancer risk is to not drink at all because it's been determined that there's no safe level of alcohol. Something I want to make sure that you take away from this episode is that ethanol and the acetaldehyde that's produced by the body when it breaks down ethanol are the carcinogenic parts of alcohol. It's the actual alcohol. It's not a component that ended up in the alcohol. So it doesn't matter what you drink. If you're consuming alcohol, you're increasing your risk. So that was a hardcore science one, a lot of science words. I hope that you're still with me. I want to say a quick thank you to everybody listening, because by the time you're listening to this, the podcast has hit 100,000 downloads, which is a huge milestone in a year and a month of existence, which is just so amazing. I can't believe that my voice and my information has been heard a hundred thousand times. So thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for sharing the show because that is really why I have the success that I have is from you guys sharing it and enjoying it. So I just want you to know how much I appreciate you and all of your support. And I'll talk to you next week.
Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.